Good morning. Welcome to Evangel. I invite you to stand as we worship this morning. And hello and good morning to all those watching from home. Let's begin with prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your great love. We've gathered here to worship you, to draw closer to you, to learn more about you. Lord God, we pray that, uh, that you would fill us with your love and draw, draw us to your side, Lord God. Bring us closer to you. We love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can put your hands together as we sing, just like that.
morning. Is that the story of your life this morning? His love awakens you. Yeah, that and a cup of coffee maybe helped a little bit this morning. Yeah. Wow, what a crowd. You know, in, in terms of two-year comparisons, uh, it's great to see you. Uh, say hello to each other. It's uh, one day close to Valentine's Day. Just tell someone you love them. Love you, Jen. Love you, Tyler. Love you, too. <laughs> love all of you at home. All right, you may be seated. I want to take this opportunity to welcome you. Thank you for being here this morning to worship together. Thank you for those of you who are joining us from home today, and uh, we're thinking of you and praying for you as well. And our desire is that this service this morning through worship and God's word and uh, being together would just encourage your heart and just uh, enable all of us to live for Jesus uh, uh, better than, than before. And so we're just glad that you are here and you can be with us today. Just a couple of announcements. I just want to remind you once again that on Sunday, uh, March 27th at 11.15 a.m. is our annual business meeting. And uh, we'll be, don't anticipate the meeting will be long. Uh, if you can be here, we would encourage you to be here. If you can't be here, we are for this one time again going to provide a Zoom link. It's not the most ideal way to do an annual business meeting, but in light of circumstances, we'll do it one more time. Uh, so just want to encourage you, but if you can be here, that would be great. This week, uh, nominations went out. So for those of you who are not on our email list, you would have picked up or you should have picked up a paper copy of the nomination package this morning. For those of you who are on our email, uh, then you will have received that link. It'll just take you a very short time to complete those nominations. If you say, well, I didn't get one, I'm a member and I didn't get one, check your junk uh, folder. For some reason, technology thinks that most of what comes from me is junk. And so check your junk folder. It's probably in there, and uh, you can do that and, uh, and do that quite easily. R nominations will run until Sunday, February the 27th, or so just two weeks, three Sundays, and um, they all had to be in by that time. Then the nominations committee will begin preparing that for our annual meeting. Also, just to say, starting next Sunday, so starting next Sunday, we're going to go back to visiting inside the building, and... Uh, Things seem to be improving, moving along, and uh, so just bear with us this one last Sunday of just visiting outside after the service. I think it's only about minus 15 today, so it's, you know, without windshield, so. But uh, you guys are, uh, uh, community is important to you, so you just kind of brave that and, uh, yeah, put your face to the wind, so. Uh, but starting next week, we'll, we'll return to that. And we're anticipating a number of uh, announcements coming over the next couple of weeks that will affect how we can uh, lighten some things here and kind of uh, return to um, a little bit more of the way things normally would run around here without a lot of these different things. And I know, like me, you're looking forward to those changes coming too. So uh, just keep those in mind. Just also want to remind you, we are still receiving offering. Yep, we're still, we're still taking money. And uh, so there are multiple ways that you can do that. But just to let you know, if you're in the building today and you want to give offering, as much as we're not passing plates, you will see an offering plate on your way in. Too late for this morning because you're already in. But it will also be on the table on your way out. So if you want to drop it in there, that's great. But you can give through e-transfer. You can mail it in to us. You can drop it off at the office. You know, you can stick it in your mailbox and I will personally come pick it up. Whatever it takes. 
uh, if for, to help you with that, just remember that, uh, um, you know, just to continue this to be faithful in our giving. And uh, it's really important to us as we're gearing up to, to start taking back on the things we believe we're called to as a church and uh, to re-engage those things. Kids, you are free to join your children's ministry leaders at this door this morning at the end of the service. Parents, please do not leave without them, but make sure you pick them up. That's it for now. Uh, hand it back to Tyler. Thank you, Tyler. God bless you. Enjoy the rest of the service. Uh, this next song will definitely be new for you. Um, it's one that I wrote, and it's based off of one of my favorite prayers, which is a very simple prayer, and it's just, Jesus, I trust in you. Um, and I think especially during this time where there's so many things that we probably say why or we don't understand, I found that you basically have two options. You either say, God's not good, and then you despair. Or you say, I don't understand, but I'm still going to choose to trust him, even though it, you know, I would do it differently kind of thing. If I don't know if you've ever th thought that, but has anyone, well, I guess you don't have to raise your hand, but I think we've all been there. You know, if you're going through a hard time, you're like, God, you're all powerful. Like, you couldn't you do it different? Like, what's going on? And, um, but we have to trust him, that he knows best. He's in control. And so that, that's why I found this prayer so helpful because it's just very simple. And, and it can mean a lot of things, but it's something that I pray all throughout the day. Just could be in the car and something happens or maybe a, a thought is going through your mind and it's, and it's just, Jesus, I trust in you. Jesus, I trust in you. And... Um, I don't want to say that it's magic that, and all your problems will go away. Um, I think it will help you through the problem or whatever it is you're dealing with it because he tells us to trust in him. And um, I know the verse I think that we all know very well, but is very fitting is um, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding in all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. He will direct you. I think what we want is a map that tells us, okay, you're going to go here and then you're going to go there and then you're going to go there and then here's the final destination. But God gives us a compass and that could be more frustrating because he's like, just go north. And you're like, but uh, what am I going to, uh, really? Do you know what I mean? Kind of. Okay, hopefully. Anyhow. So this song is about just trusting in God, surrendering to him. And, uh, and I invite you to stand as, as we sing.
nothing ever take your place Jesus I trust in you Jesus I trust in you Jesus I trust in I trust in you. Jesus, I trust in you. Jesus, I trust in you, my Lord. Lord Jesus, please help us to trust in you. there is so much that we don't understand but please help us just to choose to trust in you no matter what happens Stronger and nothing compares I once was loved 
down and rescued me. I thank you. Yes, I thank you. I once was blind, but now I see. I see you. Yes, I see you. And love came down and rescued me. I thank you. Yes, I thank you. I once was blind, but now I see. I see you. Yes, I see you. And love came down and rescued me. I thank you. Yes, I thank you. I once was blind.
pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Please remain standing for the reading of God's word. Our scripture this morning is found in Luke chapter 15, and we're reading verses 3 to 7. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and his neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Thank you. You may be seated. Thank you, Tyler and the worship team for leading us so beautifully and powerfully this morning. During the summer between my third and fourth year of Bible college, I worked for Go Transit at Union Station in Toronto. And during that time, I lived with my brother and sister-in-law right here in Oakville. They had a little dog named Buffy at that time. And it was the kind of dog, you know the ones where you're not really sure which end is which until it starts moving, right? It was, was one of those. And they were away for a few days, and while they're away, I was responsible to take care of Buffy. Well, things were going well until I realized that the gate was open and Buffy was gone. I began to drive all over the neighborhood, but without success. They returned home, and I had to break the sad news that their precious Buffy was lost. Now, my sister-in-law really, really, really loved that dog. And she became very emotional, giving me what I would call the death stare. Most of us men know what that is, right? The death stare. So we started driving around the neighborhood again. But this time we added an extra element to our search. There was a sound that they would make that the dog would normally come running to. It, it, it sounded like this. And so you can imagine us driving and searching through the neighborhood with our windows down, our heads hanging out, going up and down the streets going, as all the neighbors were kind of watching, trying to figure out what was going on. Now, fortunately for me, and while I'm able to be here with you today, is that someone a few streets over found the dog, and when they figured out which end was which, found the collar, and followed up on the number on the tag, and while there was much rejoicing when Buffy got home, because their dog that they had loved was no longer lost, it was found. Sort of my version of the lost sheep. Now, last week, we launched a new series entitled 
love beyond boundaries based on Jesus' teaching in Luke 15. In this chapter, the religious leaders in verses 1 and 2 that we looked at last week, they're focused on establishing spiritual boundaries of who was in and who was out. And so subsequently, a conflict arose between them and Jesus when Jesus' actions and his teachings blatantly ignored their boundaries. And so at the start of chapter 15, we're told that tax collectors and sinners, uh, other notorious sinners, often came to Jesus to hear him teach. They wanted to hear what he had to say. They wanted to listen to him. And so in response, the Pharisees and teachers of the law complained because he welcomed sinners and even ate with them. We said that in Luke 15, we find a series of three parables that Jesus told in response to their complaining in this chapter in order to teach them that God's love cannot be contained by boundaries, that love is better than boundaries. And so today we're going to be considering the first of these three parables that Jesus told the parable of the lost sheep. And I, and I hope maybe you see it through fresh eyes because I know for me, this week was seeing it different than I've ever seen it before. So hopefully that'll be good for you too. Throughout this series, we will be reminded of the same thing. In the kingdom of God, love cannot be contained by boundaries because everyone is equally valuable to God. So let's take a look at the parable. We'll start with losing. Losing. The key to an effective story is focusing on something that the listener can relate to. And so the first story, the first parable that we see here from Jesus does just that. Sheep are the most common animal mentioned in the Bible. In fact, I guess someone spent some time counting. So some approximately 750 times sheep are referenced. And they're often referenced to reflect either the relationship between God and his people or between godly leadership and those under their care. So Moses was known as the shepherd of Israel. The Pharisees and teachers of the law that Jesus was responding to here, well, they were supposed to be shepherds. They were supposed to be spiritual leaders. They were supposed to be providing care and leadership to all of the people. But we know from reading the Gospels that they had neglected their duty. In fact, we read in the Gospels that Jesus himself It says that Jesus had compassion on the people because they were, what? Like sheep without a shepherd. The spiritual leadership had failed them, and they were not fulfilling God's expectation of them, these shepherds. Now, Jesus began with these words. Suppose one of you had a hundred sheep. In other words... Imagine that you, Pharisees and teachers of the law, just imagine for a moment that you're a shepherd, not a religious leader, and you have 100 sheep. Now, Jesus is not only helping them to see themselves in the story by starting this way, but he's also telling them 
the, the story this way because he's also making the story personal. He's bringing them personally into it. And this is important because we need to see ourselves as shepherds, but they, they, they need to see themselves as shepherds, but they also need to see a lost sheep as being more than an issue to complain about, but actually real people with real value. And so he's telling the story in a way to provoke that. The shepherd in this story is responsible for a hundred sheep, likely the normal size of a flock maybe, but you know, when you're telling a story, a good round number works really well. Now the problem is that the shepherd, the one who is responsible for looking after the sheep, loses one of them, loses one of them. Now I want us to note the language that is used here. The most common way to express this situation that a sheep was lost would be for uh, someone to say, well, there was a sheep and it went astray. It went astray. Rather than saying, I lost a sheep, (laughs) you would say the sheep went astray. Now, you may notice that some translations of the Bible, and it might be the one that you're using, records or interprets this verse to say, and one sheep went astray. That's what it says. While others, the one I'm using this morning, says the shepherd lost one sheep. The original Greek language in this verse, which I'm telling you this because I think it's important, in the original Greek language, it says he lost one sheep. The shepherd lost the sheep. It didn't just stray. The shepherd left it somewhere. He, he lost it. He lost it. And in light of the context of this scripture, that these so-called shepherds, religious leaders, had dropped the ball and alienated some of the sheep, I believe that Jesus' use of words here are very intentional. He's not saying a sheep strayed. He's saying you lost the sheep. You lost the sheep. The boundary making, their boundary making, their rejection of certain people created a situation where sheep got lost. The sheep was lost, and it was the shepherd's responsibility. Because remember, this story is to help them see themselves in the way they're treating other people. And the shepherd's behavior in Jesus' story caused the sheep to be lost. And so these so-called sinners, notorious sinners and tax collectors were, well, they were marginalized. They were rejected. They were deemed to be insignificant. They were lost. They were lost. And they were lost because of the boundaries established by religious leaders who had failed. They had failed in their responsibility to shepherd and care for all people. Losing. Second, finding. Now Jesus began the next part of the story with a rhetorical question. He looks at them and he says, does he, the shepherd, not leave the 99 that are okay, the 99 that have not been lost, and go after this one sheep? the one that he is actually responsible for losing until he finds it. 
So Jesus asks them that question. Well, what kind of question is that? Of course that's what a shepherd is going to do because that's what a shepherd does. Of course, even these religious leaders who are not shepherds, they know that. That's what a shepherd does. That's what a shepherd does because, first of all, the sheep had value. And secondly, because the shepherd would take responsibility to correct or redeem what he did wrong in the first place, to make it right. And so I want to remind us that the complaint of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law was that Jesus welcomed sinners and ate with them. And that in in itself was a really big deal to them. But Jesus is showing them through this story that a good shepherd not only welcomes the lost sheep back, oh, look, there's a little sheep. He's come back. Come on over, little feller. No, it's more than that. He, He does more than just welcome the sheep back. He intentionally sets out to find it and does whatever it takes to restore it. A good shepherd searches until he finds it. A good shepherd is persistent. Why? Because the sheep matters. And that motivates him to search until the sheep is restored. He is showing them that not only should they not be complaining about him welcoming those who are seen as outside the boundary, but that they should be tearing down the boundaries that they have set up to not only welcome these so-called sinners in, but to also go out and initiate the process of restoring them. Their boundaries had created the alienation of the sheep, and their tearing down of these same boundaries was the solution to restoring those who had been alienated. Now, once the shepherd finds the lost sheep, I love this part. I'm, I, I just really do. He puts it on his shoulders and carries it home. The shepherd bears the burden and ensures that the sheep he has lost is returned safely home. It cost the shepherd personally to bear the weight of carrying the lost sheep home. If these so-called shepherds are going to tear down their boundaries and intentionally go out to find the sheep they lost with the intention of welcoming the lost sheep back into the fold, it is going to cost them something. It's going to cost them the pride of admitting that they were wrong to alienate them in the first place, to lose the sheep in the first place. It's going to cost them the comfort and safety that they have created within their boundaries to keep those within the boundaries feeling comfortable. It's going to cost them. It's going to make them uncomfortable. It's going to result in them changing how they think. They're going to have to change how they think about God. They're going to have to change how they think about spirituality as a whole. They're going to have to change how they think about others. It's going to mean that they have to change their views on who it is that is welcomed, who it is that is valuable, and who is not. Which is the whole point of him telling this. 
They are responsible for the lost sheep, and they are responsible to bear the necessary burden to ensure sheep are brought safely home. A good shepherd always goes out and searches for the sheep that are lost until he finds it. He then bears the burden to ensure it is brought back home. And it says not only does he put it on his shoulders, but he joyfully, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders. He doesn't resentfully put it on his shoulders. Oh, I'll bring you back if I have to. I'll tear down the boundary if I have to. I'll let you in if I have to. No, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders. He joyfully bears the burden because finding the lost sheep, the joy of finding the lost sheep is greater than the burden and it is greater than the personal cost of welcoming him home. Sadly, the joy of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law was actually found in segregating and abandoning the very ones they were supposed to care for. Thirdly, celebrating. The longest part of the story, but not the longest part of the sermon, but the longest part of the story of the lost sheep is the celebration. More sentences given to that part than the other parts. Jesus really drives the celebration part home. Celebrations in biblical times placed a high emphasis on who was invited and what took place at the actual event. Celebration banquets, which were common, involved inviting those that you deemed to be on equal standing with you, those who you accepted as your friends, those who could not or who could in the future reciprocate back and invite you to their banquet. That's, that's who you invited. When Jesus used a celebration, a celebration banquet to describe the kingdom of God, he included guests who were outside of the boundaries of the religious establishment. He, unlike the Pharisees who invited people on their own level, which was common in that day, Jesus invited people who were on a lower level. He invited those not who were considered friends. He considered those who were considered enemies. He didn't invite people who could throw a party in two weeks and invite them back. He invited people who could never, ever reciprocate his invitation to come with him. And so in this story, there's a party. There's a banquet in honor of a sheep. Of a sheep. I mean, some people... Especially these days, right? I mean, I'd throw a party for almost anything right now just to be around people. I'd even throw a party for a sheep. He's throwing a party for a sheep. In honor, but actually, the party is in honor of a sinner that had been cut off by the behavior of the religious elite. And friends and neighbors were invited to celebrate that this lost sheep had been restored back to its proper community. And Jesus looked at them and said, listen, in the same way in the same way that this party is going on for this sheep, there is more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the 99 quote-unquote righteous persons who do not need to repent. Now, the reference in heaven here is not about a place. I know when we read this, we think, oh, like up there where all the you know, celestial beings are, there's... That's where the party is. That's, that's not what in heaven means here. Sorry, but it doesn't. It, it's not about a place as much as it's, you know, for Jews, it was a way of reverently referring to God 
without saying his name. Jews often refer, you know, uh, refrained from, and still today, refrain from saying God's name or from even writing it out in its fullness. They leave certain parts out because it's an act of reverence to the holiness of God. And so often it's said, when, you, when someone says, you know, in heaven, it's more a reference to God, to God. And so righteous people that Jesus references here, well, they're people who are faithful to a, a religious system. And many of them believe that they didn't even need to repent because they thought they were already good enough. And so Jesus was telling the Pharisees and the teachers of law, he says this, God rejoices more. God throws a party for those who have been lost more than he does over the many others who are devoted to a set of beliefs and feel no need to repent because they already have it all together. Every meal with Jesus was a banquet to celebrate. Every meal that this lost sheep, this sinner, was coming to him, desiring to be a part of what he was doing. And he not only received them, he not only welcomed them, but he went out of his way to find them. Because the religious establishment had alienated them with their boundaries. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law needed to follow his example. To stop focusing on their boundaries and to start accepting and celebrating the return of those that they had wrongly alienated, who, by the way, happened to be very important to God. In conclusion today, there are two areas, two applications that I'd like to focus on as we ask ourselves today how this parable might apply to us. It was told by Jesus for that particular group, but we have to ask ourselves, well, what does it mean for us? I want to start with a question. Did I do that? For nine years, from 1989 to 1998, a sitcom entitled Family Matters ran on TV. Some of you may remember that. Some of you may think, I don't know what you're talking about, right? And in that show, there was a nerdy, annoying neighbor named Steve Urkel who would visit the next door Winslow family on a regular basis. And it, during his visits, he would often create some type of havoc. He would break something, destroy something, do something wrong. And every time something went wrong that he was clearly responsible for, there was no question he did it, he would ask the question in his squeaky voice, did I do that? Well, today we read about the Pharisees and the teachers of the law and how their establishment of boundaries ended up pushing people away from God. And I believe it's easy for us to read a story like this, but not see how we sometimes reflect the story. They alienated people. They pushed them away. They condemned them. They rejected them rather than caring for them, loving them, and receiving them. And I believe it is important for us to ask ourselves, when we read a scripture like this, we must ask ourselves, have I done that? Am I doing that? 
did I do that? Have I or am I establishing boundaries in my life to protect my faith and my set of beliefs that are actually ending up alienating people, pushing them away, condemning them, rejecting them, and keeping them from Jesus? That's a really important question to ask ourselves. I don't know what the answer to that question is for you. I can only answer it for me, but it's a question we all have to ask ourselves. Because history is littered with examples of followers of Jesus, Christians, the church, establishing boundaries that created great harm. And most often, these boundaries were based on a misunderstanding or a misreading of Scripture throughout history. Because you might say, well, what I'm doing is based on the Bible. Well, throughout history, I want to remind us this morning that the Bible has been used throughout history to justify slavery, human slavery. The Bible has been used to justify racism. The Bible has been used to justify the forcible removal of indigenous children from their families, resulting in their abuse, and many of them lying today in unmarked graves. The Bible has been used to justify the genocide of certain people. Adolf Hitler quoted scripture for his behavior on many occasions. For centuries, the Bible was used to justify withholding rights from women. The Bible has been used to justify war and torture and capital punishment. The Bible has been used to justify burning people at the stake or hanging them because they were accused of heresy. The Bible has been used to justify colonialism. One of my favorite quotes from Desmond Tutu is this. This is what he said. I assume you know who he was. When the missionaries came to Africa, they had the Bible and we had the land. They said, let us pray. We closed our eyes. And when we opened them, we had the Bible and they had the land. Mm. The Bible has been used to justify the support of a particular political party. I mean, people really, as if God is a part of the Conservative Party of Canada or the Liberal Party or the NDP or the Bloc Québécois, as if God is a Republican or a Democrat. You can't use the Bible to, to, to determine these things. Most of these things happened, I know, a long time, maybe before we were born or apart from what we were doing, yet some of these things are still ongoing. And they serve as reminders to us of how easy, easily we can use our interpretation of the Bible to establish boundaries that are actually offensive to God. We can use the Bible to do things that God finds offensive and cause alienation and rejection of people who are created in his image, using the Bible to do that. You may note I'm a little passionate about this. The question that this parable begs for all of us to ask today is this. In living out my spiritual beliefs, have I acted or am I acting, whether intentional or unintentional, 
in a manner that is establishing boundaries and keeping people away from Jesus that Jesus wants to be brought close. That's a really important question for us to ask. And we must ask this question of ourselves and we must honestly answer it because we cannot be comfortable with creating boundaries that push people away from God's love. We can't do that. That segregate people, that abandon people. We must take responsibility for how we might be participating in that. We must begin to see people as Jesus did, as human beings that he died to redeem and not issues to be debated, to love beyond boundaries. I don't know about you, but I need a drink. That's a loud drink. Number two, growing pains. I also realized that this was a sitcom in the 80s. I didn't intentionally do that. That's just the anointing. That's all. I didn't intentionally set out to do that. I believe that most of us would agree today that growing is an important part of the Christian faith. That being a follower of Jesus means that the Holy Spirit is helping us to grow into the likeness of Jesus. I mean, I really believe that most, you know, likely all of us would, would agree with that, right? That's, that's not a difficult one to agree with. I also think that most of us would agree that growing is painful. Growing is painful. It's painful because growing requires change. Nothing grows and stays the same. Nothing grows and stays, I know that's profound, but it's true. Growing means changing. And changing is not easy for most people. In, in fact, changing is very difficult for most of us. It really is. To spend a lifetime being taught something, to spend a lifetime believing something, to spend a lifetime centering your life around a certain set of beliefs only to come to the point where you begin to question whether or not you got it right and then changing what you think or how you act in response to that process is difficult. It's difficult. Change is hard because if we're going to change, we have to admit that we were wrong. Change is hard because it pushes us outside of what makes us comfortable outside of our comfort zones and our boundaries that we've created to make us feel safe. Change is hard because some people won't support you. They won't support the fact that you're changing. They're not going to celebrate it. They may even reject you, even attack you for daring to think and act and believe differently. I was raised in a home that taught me certain things about God and the Bible that shaped what I believed and how I lived my life. I grew up in a church that reinforced the same understanding of God in the Bible, which further entrenched my life in a way of thinking and acting and believing. I trained at schools that while expanding my understanding of theological things, reinforced for the most part the understanding of God in the Bible that I had spent my whole life 
centered around. I've spent over 30 years ministering in a denomination that has reinforced these same things that I was taught to believe as a child. That's been my personal experience. Your road might be different, but, but that's mine. Now, I can say that even though I've been a part of this denomination that has reinforced these things, I have seen our denomination change. Today, I'm giving a shout-out to our denomination. I hope someone's watching. I guarantee you they're not. But they might be because they got their own things going this morning. But I'm doing a shout-out. So if you ever say I'm not pro, you know, the PAOC, you tell them that one time, pastor gave them a shout-out, that one time. I've seen our denomination change firsthand in beliefs and practice. Well, it was early in my ministry when I attended the conference that decided that women should be ordained just like men. I mean, I know it makes me sound like I'm 150 years old, but I was there. I was there at that meeting. I was a part of the vote. I voted on it. I was, after the confer I was at the conference when after a fresh look at Scripture, it was decided that we were not approaching divorce and remarriage the way we should, and we decided that we needed to change our approach. I was a part of that. We admitted we were wrong, and we changed. Most recently, this may be a surprise to you, our denomination has admitted that our end-time theology needs some attention, that our historical doctrine of end times does, in, in the opinion of our denomination, does not align with a closer look at Scripture. And so once again, we're admitting we got some things wrong, and we're going to change them. Change is hard, but change is happening because we're growing. We're growing. Personally, I've been on a journey of questioning certain aspects of what I have believed my whole life, only to reach a point that I have changed how I view some things in light of what I believe was a closer look at Scripture. That's my own personal testimony. And I know firsthand how difficult it is to struggle and to grow because growing requires change and change is a heavy burden to carry because rejection and guilt often come with change. Statistically, likely we've all heard of the alarming numbers of young adults that leave the church and never come back over the last number of years. When they go off to college or when they become independent from their parents or when they start a job, when they stop living in their parents' house at age 43 or whatever, they leave faith and they never come back. It's an alarming statistic. It's one that concerns all of us, and if it doesn't, it should. It certainly concerns every parent who has a child in around that age bracket, wondering what's going to happen spiritually to my kids. Now, there are many possible reasons given as to why this is happening. But there's one view that, that I, I want you to know I personally align with. It's the one that I, I agree with because I've seen it myself, not only as a parent, but as a pastor of a congregation with, filled with youth and young adults who, if you guys don't know this already, I love you more than everybody else. You should probably already know that. Sorry, but no. But I also love the seniors more than everybody else, and so it's kind of hard. You know what I'm saying. I just love you. I believe that many youth and young adults in our church today are struggling with what they have been raised to believe. They're struggling. And unlike me, 
They're struggling with, because they don't believe the same things that their parents and their church taught them to believe. They're questioning those things. And unlike me, they're not afraid to voice it. In my generation, we just kept quiet. We shut up and we put up. This is what you're taught. You just take it, you move on. You dare not drag. But this generation is different. They're a generation of thinkers and processors and question askers. And they're struggling because they don't necessarily believe all the same things that their parents and their church taught them to believe. And they're questioning certain things. They have questions. And they're uncomfortable with certain things. Things that some of us are okay to accept. They're saying, I'm not comfortable with that. I want to explore that a little bit more. I have questions about that. And folks, unfortunately, the church is not always the safest place to question stuff. It just isn't the safest place to question stuff. It's a safe place to just say the words everybody wants to hear, the way they say them, to do what everybody else is doing. It's not always the safest place to ask questions. So rather than being able to wrestle through and see faith different than they were raised to, to ask the questions they have, to work it through, many of them just walk away because it doesn't feel like a safe place to work through that stuff. My questions aren't welcomed there. I'm seen as a threat, as rebellious, as, as unspiritual. And they walk away. They're not comfortable accepting things as they are, but they're not allowed to process it, to ask, to question it, to even say, I don't see it the way you do. They don't get to say that. When people can't ask the questions they're wrestling through and being given permission to grow in their thinking and in their faith and in their question asking, they often respond by just throwing it all away. I read someone recently that I totally agree with. They said, the road between a Christian and an atheist is a very short road. Most atheists are former Christians. The road is really short. I believe we need to be a church community where it's safe to ask difficult questions. We need to be a community where it's okay to disagree on certain things as long as we are united on the main thing. And as I said last week, that main thing is Jesus Christ. We need to be a community that embraces the pain of necessary change that is willing to admit that maybe, just maybe, we got some stuff wrong. That makes room for all who are seeking and struggling and questioning, and especially those who find themselves outside the boundaries that we have established. Folks, growing is painful because growing requires change. I'm going to invite the worship team back. In the kingdom of God, love cannot be contained by boundaries because everyone is equally valuable to God. And so we must be willing to honestly ask and answer the question, In living out my spiritual beliefs, have I acted or am I acting, whether intentional or unintentional, in a manner that is establishing boundaries that are keeping people away from Jesus? Growing 
means changing. We need to grow. Therefore, we need to change. And we need to be a community that embraces the pain of change, that is willing to admit that maybe we got some stuff wrong that makes room for people who are seeking and struggling and questioning. Because we're called to love beyond these boundaries. Beyond these boundaries. Would you stand with us this morning? As Tyler leads us today, would you make your prayer this morning a question to the Holy Spirit to show a request, whether you're here or at home? Holy Spirit, show me in my own life. Show me attitudes or or boundaries or beliefs that I have put in place that are actually maybe harmful to what Jesus wants to do. Because I believe that if any of us knew that that was happening, we want to change that. And I believe that's what Jesus was hoping when he talked to the Pharisees, that in telling you this story, you'll see yourself in this story and change what you're doing. Now, unfortunately, we know they they didn't. But my prayer for us is that we will. So Tyler, would you lead us this morning as we allow the Spirit of God to speak to our hearts and minds afresh this morning? I sing a simple song of love To my Savior To my Jesus I'm grateful for the things you've done My loving Savior Oh precious Jesus is glad that you've pulled me on. There's no place I'd rather be than in your arms alone. In your arms alone. Holding me still Morning. 
this time we have three special requests that have come to us that we're going to share and pray for this morning as well as praying for you whether here or at home for your unspoken requests this morning we're continuing to pray for Todd White and uh, as we said last week Todd has his cancer has returned he's doing some aggressive treatments and uh, a praise report from this week that he had the he was suffering from a lot of abdominal pain and that has been easing this week. And so we just pray that you'll continue to pray for Todd and uh, for Ron and Bertie and their families as they as they journey down this road together for God's healing and strength in his life. Praying for Emma, they weren't able to do the biopsy this week to determine levels of uh, rejection of the transplant organs, but uh, she seems to be holding her own and uh, just, just praying that things will be able to progress this week and just for God's work in her life. And we'll continue also to pray for Edith. Uh, sauce this morning as well. So let's let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you for your love that throws your arms open and embraces us and accepts us and loves us and cares and nurtures for us. That we can say today that the Lord is my shepherd. You're a good shepherd. That we are not like sheep without a shepherd, but we are a sheep. We are sheep with a very attentive, loving, and kind shepherd. And today we want to lift up before you those who are reaching out in need of prayer today. We pray for Todd. And we ask, Lord God, for your healing in his body. We pray that you would touch him. We pray for the doctors who are treating him. We pray for wisdom. We pray, Lord, for the treatments he's receiving, that they would be effective. We pray that the side effects would be minimal. We pray, God, that you would ease his pain and give him comfort and strength. And I pray that you would allow him to recover, Lord, full health. Give peace to his family today. Lord, for little Emma this morning, we lift her up before you again. And we pray as she battles and such a a little warrior as she battles and struggles with her health. We pray today, Lord God, that your healing would just flow through her body. That every organ that has been transplanted would be received into her body without rejection. That she would be healthy and strong. That she would be able to grow and to, to be able to share her story of how you miraculously touched her life when she was so little and helpless. I pray for your peace and comfort for her family as they journey and for wisdom for those who treat her. And God, we pray for Edith today. We pray for your healing in her body. We pray for your peace in her life. We pray for your comfort and your strength. We pray for her family today. Lord, we think of those who are who are at home or elsewhere this morning and they're not well and they need your touch, we pray for them. We pray for those in this congregation that we may not know their needs, but we pray because you do, Lord, that you would touch their lives this morning. And Father, as we leave this place today, may we leave with hearts and minds open to be led by your spirit into all truth, to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, the one who began and the one who will finish our faith, 
And God, I pray that we would be able to live out our faith in such a way that it never alienates anyone who longs for you, who wants you. Lord, may we be instruments of love. And God, I pray that you'd help us on our own individual journeys as we process what this means for us individually. As we leave this place, may your blessing rest on us. Would you lead us, guide us, protect us, and watch over us? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for being here this morning. Just want to remind you that we're not going to visit inside this morning, but we will start that next week. And for those of you who are home, thank you for joining us and being with us today. God bless you. God bless all of you. Have a great week. Amen.